Thank you, Logan. Sometimes when people find out that I'm a pastor, that means I have to be very careful. You may know about this. If you, uh, if you have any bumper sticker on your car, for example, that indicates that you are a Christian, that means that the way that you behave while you're in your car might reflect on the body of Christ as a whole. Well, as a pastor, when people find out that I'm a pastor, I feel a little bit of pressure to, to make sure that I behave well, lest uh, I, make, I make our Lord look bad. And so, last year, at the end of last year, I went with my father to the Field Museum in Chicago. This was a, a very big deal for us. It was a trip we were excited to take. As his health had started to decline, he was still able to go. And we are both history lovers, and I had never been before. I had found out that he went every few years and had just never told me, and so I was glad to be able to, to go and to share that with him. And as we're there, we're very excited. We got there first thing in the morning. I mean, it just opened, and we went, and we were kind of figuring out where we wanted to go and when and where we wanted to spend our time, and we went down into the Egyptian exhibit. And it is a beautiful and exciting, rich, detailed look at Egyptian history. And we're kind of moseying and taking our time, really trying to take it all in. And after we'd been there for just a few minutes, we hear this loud roar of noise coming toward us. And trying to figure out what it is, as it gets a little closer, we identify the sound of feet moving very quickly and voices of varying ages making a lot of noise, and we realize we are right in the path of a school trip. And I say in the path of because it was less a group of students looking around as a wave of students rushing through the exhibit. And I found after a few minutes of trying to speak with dad and we not being able to hear each other, trying to get pictures and some child of whatever age gets in the way of the picture and then out of the way of the picture, I started to get a little frustrated. And the problem for me, maybe you're like this, is when I start to get a little frustrated, well, it just, it just tends to go downhill from there. And so I got more and more wound up and I said to dad, I'm going to go and say something because there were these adults that I just really felt like should be doing a better job of watching their kids. In retrospect, that was unfair because the sheer number of kids and the excitement of the kids was going to make it impossible for the adults to really keep them in line. But that's what I felt, and Dad said, Clayton, you're a pastor. You probably don't need to go and, and chew anyone out for, uh, for kids looking at a museum. And my response was, they don't know I'm a pastor. It's going to be just fine. He warned again, and so I decided instead of getting angry, I would just strike up a conversation with the teacher, and we would just kind of camp and wait for them to move on. And as I'm chewing back my anger and frustration, I went up to this woman I'd, I'd never met who looked like she was a teacher with the school, and I said, so obviously this is a school trip, and she goes, yes, I know. We only have an hour to go through the entire field museum which if you've ever been, you know that that's silly and was the explanation for the crazy wave through the Egyptian exhibit. And then I asked, so where are you from? And she said, this little town, you've probably not heard of it, called Washington, Illinois. 
You know, I have heard of that, actually. And then I started to notice children that looked very familiar in this, this huge wave of kids that came through, and I was, oh, so very glad that I had listened to my father and not uh, revealed the frustration I had and when the label of pastor probably would have been known. You see, we who belong to Jesus have this incredible gift and honor to bear his name, but it also comes with a great responsibility, and it's belonging to Jesus and everything that that means that I want to talk to you about today. The passage that Logan read for us, there's three truths in it I want to kind of I kind of want to point out, and they're all related to belonging to Jesus. So I'm going to say them. Some of you I know like to write things down. You don't need to write them all down now. You'll hear them again. We're going to talk about because we belong to Jesus, we're on loan to the world. And because we belong to Jesus, our weakness confirms the gospel. And because we belong to Jesus, we have the transforming hope of the gospel. When we become Christians, we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And that phrase, that phrase Lord and Savior, it has a rich and a full meaning. And Paul's talking about one part of it here. We call Jesus our Lord, and that means that when we become Christians, we sign up to belong to him. We don't really like that belong to him language in American culture. We're very fiercely independent. And the idea of someone having such a say or such power over our lives can be hard for us. But, but I think that it fits our relationship with him very well. If we call Jesus Lord, then that's going to mean a few things. That's going to give him some privilege over our life. If we call him Lord, then that means that we give him permission to demand anything from us. Because we know that the very best life we could ever live is in his service, doing his will as his representative. Now, they had a word that suited this very well in the ancient world. The word in the ancient world for what we're talking about, our relationship to Jesus being like, is slave. The passage this morning says servant, but that's, it, that word means slave. The people who translated our Bibles just wanted to use a nicer word. Slavery was a pretty common thing in the ancient world. In the Roman Empire, sometimes a slave would be able to gain a great deal of respect, a great deal of influence. A slave might be a physical laborer, or they might be very educated, some slaves were even specialists. They had skills which people would pay a great deal to be able to rent them, to be able to use their services for a while. And so the slave would get loaned to them for a time. Now as a slave on loan, you're a benefit in two ways. First, you benefit your master, your lord, because they wouldn't loan you if they weren't getting something for your service. In our case, as, as servants, slaves of Jesus, we, we don't only do it for his benefit. We, only, we don't only do work for his benefit. We're also his representatives. So belonging to him, we do work that he calls us to, and we represent him to the world around us. 
So first and foremost, a servant on loan benefits their master. But a servant on loan also benefits the one you're being loaned to because you have whatever skill they need. You still belong to your master, but for a time, you're a servant to the person you've been loaned to. And we belong to Jesus, and we're on loan to the world. One of the things that this means is that we're called to represent him to the world around us. As representatives of Jesus, it's important that we live in a way that reflects his goodness and his love to the world, to the people in our immediate vicinity, to everyone that we interact with, to everyone we write comments to on Facebook and YouTube, that we represent Jesus to the people in our orbit. And this means that we should live with the kind of character that proclaims the gospel to the people around us. There's a great way to describe all this that some of you are probably familiar with. Some of you have heard of St. Francis of Assisi. He was a 13th century friar. And he became well known for his incredible holy life. And he made several writings, several things that he wrote that are passed down to us today. And someone, when trying to sum up everything that Francis of Assisi wrote, they, they coined this phrase. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Of course, we should preach the gospel with our words. We should tell people about our Lord. We should share our faith and the reasons for it. Of course we should. But even more important than that is the way that we live, our actions. Because if we say one thing and do another, we all know that the people around us will believe our actions before they believe our words. And we should be honest. The only reason for a representative to lie is because the one they're representing isn't going to win any awards as they really are. But we represent Jesus and he doesn't need us to lie or to pretend, or to dress him up and try to make him look good. Jesus does all that on his own. If we're honest and we show the people around us, this Lord that we belong to, this God that we worship, just seeing him as he is, is all that a person needs to see how wonderful and desirable he is. And he wants us to represent him by being like him to show him truthfully through our words and our actions to the people around us. And sometimes we'll be successful. When we do that, sometimes we will strive to live and love in an honest and open and transparent way. We'll be patient and kind and good, and the people around us will say, wow, wow, something's different about you, and I want to know about that. And sometimes we'll be frustrated. Sometimes you can live and love and, and be the image of Jesus to a person. And they'll resent you for it. There will be times when we're trying to live up to the calling of Jesus and the people around us won't notice or won't care. In those moments, we need to remember that we're not any better than anyone else because we belong to Jesus. And we're certainly not perfect. 
When a person isn't interested in the transforming power of the gospel, it's because there's a veil over their eyes. Paul talks about that veil in this passage. This veil is the reason that a person can come to church 100 times and never be moved. And then, for some reason, on the 101st, something happens and their heart is changed and they're never the same afterwards. It's the reason a person can grow up hearing sermon after sermon after sermon and going to Sunday school every week and just never getting it. And then one day, something happens and it all becomes deeply personal and it makes sense. And Jesus goes from just being this person who lived 2,000 years ago to being real and present and the Lord of their life. Now, we're called to remember this. We belong to Jesus, but we are on loan to the world, which means that every action, every word, the way we live and love matters every moment. And that's for a bunch of reasons, but one of those reasons is this. We represent him to everyone that we meet. So one truth is that we belong to Jesus and we're on loan to the world. The next one I want you to hear is this. We belong to Jesus and so our weakness confirms the gospel. Our weakness confirms the gospel. We get this impression from the New Testament that the Apostle Paul did not look like an impressive man. He would sometimes preach for way too long and people would fall asleep. Sometimes he was a little timid about doing confrontation in person. But we know that despite his lack of the normal things that would make a person seem impressive as a pastor or a leader, we know that the Holy Spirit worked through him in amazing and powerful ways. And he says something just a little bit later on in 2 Corinthians that's that's very interesting. He was given something he describes as a thorn in his side. Now, he never tells us exactly what that thorn was or what he means by that. But, but whatever it was, he asked God over and over again to remove it. This is the Apostle Paul. He asks God, please remove this thorn you've given me. And God said no. God responds to his request by saying this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, when I was younger, I had absolutely no idea what that meant. How could God's power be made perfect in weakness? That that doesn't make any sense on the face of it. And as I've gotten older, this started uh, to make more sense to me. Paul's saying the exact same thing in the passage today. Verses 10 and 11, he says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. It's tempting, I think, for new Christians to think that since they've become Christians... God's going to prevent bad things from happening to them. I mean, they belong to God, right? And and something like suffering should have no part in the life of a person who belongs to God. So think new Christians. 
Those of you that have been a part of God's family for a while know that that's not anywhere close to true. Being a Christian doesn't mean that God prevents us from experiencing suffering. It means that God sustains us in the midst of suffering. That he uses our suffering for his glory. What does that mean? What does it mean for God to use our suffering for his glory? I've spoken several times uh, about the things my family's been dealing with for the last few years. And, and it's been a lot. And like Paul did about his thorn, there have been so many times that I've gone to God and I've asked, please, please protect this pregnancy. Please, Lord, save our baby. Or please make a way so that my dad can survive. And we do that, right? In my experience, nothing pushes us harder into prayer than suffering. There's no greater motivation to go before the Lord again and again and again than when you have something so overwhelming in your life, you don't know how you're going to endure or how you're going to cope. And sometimes, thankfully, God answers our prayers. Sometimes, when we're looking down the barrel of something that's just, that's just too much, God changes the game, and, and the terrible thing we're dreading goes away. Our loved one is healed, or, or our job is safe, or the doctor doesn't find what we're afraid the doctor will find. And we praise God for those times. But a lot of the time, God doesn't work that way. A lot of the time we can pray and pray and the hard things still come. And when you find yourself in the midst of the storm, your prayers change. They turn to something like this. God, please give me the strength to get through this. Now the Apostle Paul's no stranger to suffering. He's no stranger to hard things. You can read the specifics in 2 Corinthians 11 if you want, but but you can hear it right here in our passage today. In verse 8, he says, We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. I imagine that most of us have had times in our lives where we can relate to that. That's what a person who's suffering feels like. And then Paul says this, we carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus would also be revealed in our body. And I think this is what he means. When we belong to Jesus, we give him everything, our best moments and our greatest gifts. And we give him our harshest suffering and our greatest weaknesses. And we ask him, Lord, use this. And I want to tell you this morning that I believe that every time we come before him in weakness and suffering and say, Lord, use this, he says, I will. He says, I will use this. He will use our sufferings to sanctify and transform us. He can use suffering like an engine that will move us along the way to holiness in a way that nothing else will. He will use them to change our hearts and teach us how to love and to support one another. There's nothing, there's nothing 
that lifts your attention from your own life to love your neighbor more than seeing someone else walk down a hard road that you've been down yourself. And he'll use them to show his sustaining, loving power to us and to the world as he gives us the strength every single day to endure, to make it through the darkest times and through to the other end. And in our weaknesses and suffering, he will strengthen us and teach us to say with our words and most of all to live with our actions. Yes, I am hard-pressed on every side, but I'm not crushed. I might be perplexed, but because of the Lord, I'm not in despair. I may be persecuted for a time, but I know that I have not been abandoned. And yes, suffering has struck me down, but because of the goodness and love of my Lord, I have not and will not be destroyed. No, belonging to Jesus doesn't mean that you'll never experience hardship, and it doesn't mean that you'll never know suffering. That's not what he promised. He's promised that since we belong to him, our weaknesses will cause the power of the gospel to shine. Since we belong to him, he loans us out to the world, and he promises us that even in our weakness, the gospel will shine through. That leads me to the last thing about the passage today. Verses 16 to 18 read this way. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We have this promise. It is we're on loan to the world. As our hardship and suffering and weakness provides a way for the gospel to shine, we are being changed in the midst of that to be more and more like him. And that change will last forever. The promise we have, the joy we have, the reward that we have is an eternal one. So no, being a Christian, belonging to Jesus, doesn't mean that we get to live any way we want and that we'll never have any hardship. It means that we're on loan as his representatives to the world. It means that when we suffer, when we go through hard times, when our weaknesses show up, that there are opportunities for the gospel to shine in a unique and powerful way. And it's a promise that our time with him is not just here and now, but a life that we'll have forever. Please pray with me. Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings, Lord. We love and praise you. And we ask for you to help us to remember, to never lose sight of the fact that we belong to you that our weaknesses are not hindrances to you, but opportunities for your power and glory to shine. That our struggles are not, not unusable to you, 
that if we find ourselves without a gift to serve in the way that we want to, that still, Lord, your power is what matters. Lord, help us to never forget that we're yours and to live out that calling every moment of every day. Pray this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.